Let's pray. Father, we love rest after work, after labor, after the finishing of assignments. We love rest. We thank you, Lord, for the rest that came last night to tens of thousands of believers all around the world. Finished their assignment on earth. They left intensive care wards, nursing homes. Some left cars. Lord, all over the world, they left their bodies, and now they're experiencing eternal rest. Thank you, Jesus, that... uh, because you perfectly completed the work that you were assigned to do, that you could promise us that there is eternal rest after our labor on earth is done. Until then, Lord, we want to shine like lights in the darkness, like a lighthouse on the sea. But we find it very difficult to do that. The darkness is thick. It's intimidating. Our hands are shaking. Our lips are trembling. But even today, Lord, we gather to once again commit ourselves to being the beam of God, the light of God, the flame of hope. So come now, fill us with your spirit, persuade us of the truth that's in the scripture, that we might shine for you in the darkness, that others in the darkness would come out to the light. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Among the most iconic moments in Olympic history occurred 25 years ago. Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic flame in Atlanta, Georgia. There was a buzz all day of who would actually light the flame. Evander Holyfield was the one who carried it in. And he jogged around for a while with a Greek sprinter. And then they handed it off to Janet Evans, U.S. swimmer. And then she handed it off to Muhammad Ali. He was 57 years old. His body had been dealing with Parkinson's for 12 years. He was a shell of the man that won the Olympics in Rome in 1960. When he lured the the flame to light the torch that was going to go to the top of the cauldron, it felt like it would never light. And people who were watching basically were praying, Oh God, let it light. He doesn't have long to keep it there. But he didn't quit. As Ken Rosenthal of the Baltimore Sun said, we cheered and we cried at the same time, and the flame was alive. If you missed that moment, let's just relive it just a second now.
If you have been in this church for a very long time, you know that I love to illustrate the Bible with secular truth, and some of you might ask and might even write later on today, how can you use him in illustration when his life contains so much controversy? I would respond in two ways. First of all, I love the picture of Ali there in Atlanta in 1996 because it is a picture of what America used to look like when we did not allow hate and bitterness to rule. Think about that scene in Atlanta in 1996. There stood a black man who had seen much discrimination in the segregated South where he grew up, and now he was being honored in one of the most southern cities of the South. He had rejected Christianity in favor of Islam, and he was a conscientious objector and refused to serve in the United States Army, believing the Vietnam War was an unjust war. Yet in the stadium that night, 80,000 people gathered and applauded like crazy because he was the greatest boxer who had ever lived. He had used his life for countless great charities, and he was fighting now for the greatest battle of his life. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. It does not deny sin in somebody's life. But neither does it define a person by that sin. Love doesn't keep remembering the darkness. Love keeps walking toward the light. That America can exist again. But only when we decide to love one another for what we get right and forgive one another for what we get wrong. But that's not the message I came to preach today. My message is this, that no matter how dark the world is or how weak you are, Christ gives you his flame of hope and says, take this light to the ends of the earth. No better passage to talk about our commission of light bearing than Ephesians 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases God. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And that's why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. As believers in Jesus Christ, we only have one calling in life. And that is to take the torch of Christ and to light up areas of the world where his hope has not yet been believed and received. The greatest privilege in the world is to be a light bearer for Christ. And yet the greatest challenge you'll ever face is to be a light bearer for Christ. In the seven verses that compose Ephesians 5 here in this, this particular section, seven times light is mentioned and twice darkness is mentioned. It does not take a long period of meditation to realize that's the big issue of life is that light is opposing darkness. Everything about your life should be dedicated to the promotion of light. Nothing in your life should be dedicated to the promotion of darkness. 
Throughout Scripture, the rule of God versus the rule of Satan is always identified as light versus darkness. It's called the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You can see this in one of the missionary calls that, or in one of the narratives where Paul says how he got saved. He talks about this transition from darkness to light. Acts 26. God said to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then in Colossians chapter 1, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his, of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So there is a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness and there are no other lasting kingdoms on earth. You, everybody in this room today is a member of one or the other. And they have nothing to do with each other. They have nothing in common. They have different goals they have different values, they have different masters, and they have different destinies. Paul talks about the values of the kingdom of God beginning in Ephesians 5, 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The word goodness from the Greek word aletheos means a goodness that is in love with moral excellence. You pursue a life of moral purity because it coincides with the moral, infinite purity of God. The primary indication that we belong to the light is that we hate the darkness within us. Our moral deficiencies. We will struggle with sin, we will fall to sin, but we never stay there if we are people of goodness. We love the moral excellence of God. Second value of those who are belonging to the light is righteousness. It's a long Greek word, dikaiousene. It's talking about the righteousness that affects man to man, that you treat each other right because God treats everyone right. It is a longing for justice because God is a God of justice. We have many term, we have many, many conversations in this culture nowadays talking about social justice. There's no such thing as social justice. Justice never needs an adjective. Justice is justice. You do the right thing with people. That's what righteousness means. You treat everybody right because God treats everybody right. That is justice. Third value of someone who lives in his kingdom is a love of the truth. Jesus said on his last night, he prayed for the disciples, sanctify them by, make them holy by what? Truth. And then he said, what is truth? He said, your word, God, is truth. There's only one truth in the world. It's been revealed to us by the word of God. And anything that is contrary to the word of God is not true. So there you have it. the members of the kingdom of light are people who love moral excellence they love justice among men and women. And they love the Lord's 
truth. And it's interesting how Paul called these fruit. Because it's a, it's a reference to the fact that they don't grow in you naturally. They are fruit that grow in you when God is growing in you. It's his fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You can't conjure these up. When the light comes in and illuminates you like sunlight illuminates a plant, that fruit is born, and that's only when it's born. You'll never love the moral excellence of God until his light births that fruit. In contrast to this, the the values of those who belong to the kingdom of darkness, there is no fruit. It's just naturally flowing deeds out of their life. Paul spoke about them a few weeks ago. Three of them also. For this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. So these are the values of the kingdom of darkness. One who particularly, regularly participates in immorality. Pornia, a Greek word that describes a rejection of marriage. Those who continually have a sexual relationship with people outside of marriage would be guilty of immorality. They don't belong to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. Impurity is from a Greek word which simply means a general love of anything that is vulgar. It's profanity. Anything that is impure, a natural love of the perverse. And then finally, those who are not a part of the kingdom of God are those who are filled with greed. That is, they do not believe that God is the most ultimate possession on earth, the greatest treasure of all. So they seek to fill their life with pleasures and possessions that are not of God because they do not believe God is the greatest of all possessions. So the difference between those who belong to the kingdom of light and darkness is first their values. The second is their master. Those who belong to the kingdom of light live with this yearning. They find out what pleases the Lord. If you belong to the kingdom of light, you wake up pretty much every day with this prayer. God, I want to do your will. I belong to you. My hands are yours. My eyes are yours. My time is yours. There's nothing I have that I deserve. It's all come from a gift to you. I want to give it all back to you. What do you want me to do, oh God? That's the prayer of the kingdom of light. Finding out what pleases the Lord. Citizens of the kingdom of of darkness do not live in awe of God. They do not rise every day saying, God, what do you want? They might do good deeds, but it's only because deeds they prefer because they've been made in the image of God. It is something they just naturally love because God has put it in them to love being in his image. But they do not yearn every day with the prayer, what do you want? The final difference between those who belong to the kingdom of light and those who belong to darkness is their destiny. When a believer dies, his body is transformed and he's taken to a place that Paul describes in 1 Timothy 6.11. Paul said, I think I got that verse wrong. 
Paul said, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in inapproachable light. I think that's probably verse 14. You can look that up on your device and yell it out when you find it. 1 Timothy 6. The destiny for those who die in the Lord go to a place and have a new capacity to live in the presence of God who lives in inapproachable light. Contrast that with those who belong to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus described them in Matthew 8, 12. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. His disciple Peter wrote it this way. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, blackest darkness is reserved for them. So the destiny of all those outside the kingdom of God will be eternal darkness. So there's nothing in common with the the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You belong to one kingdom all the way or the other all the way. The only point of intersection between the two is that we all at one time were part of the kingdom of darkness. Paul said, this is why Christ came to rescue us from this. Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but you are, verse 15, thank you, verse 16, 1 Timothy 6, 16. Are you looking at it now? Would you read it? Uh, That was worth waiting for. Thank you. To him who lives in unapproachable light. And we were never going to have access to that light had Jesus Christ not come, rescued us out of darkness. That was our, that was our, our fate, eternal darkness. To never see beauty, never see love, never see sound. Never see anything again, and now we are light in the Lord. Probably a pretty big phrase. It looks little, just three words at the end in the English Bible. But that's the only reason we are light. We are light in the Lord. Not light in ourselves. We have no light in ourselves. We only have light because we're connected to Christ. If anybody knew that, it was the man who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul. He once killed Christians for a living. He followed a religion that was only consisted of rules, no love for God. It was dead. He was dead. And he wasn't getting better. But one day on a business trip to Syria, the light of the world appeared to him. Acts 9 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and that was the day that Jesus Christ changed his life and took him from darkness to light. And that's the only way that any of us leave darkness. The light of the world comes. The Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God who came from heaven and he identified himself with the greatest claim that any man has ever made. Only a man who is God can make this claim or a lunatic. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. And that's why the Apostle Paul told the believers in Ephesus, you are light, but only in the Lord. No shining in you and through you if it were not for Jesus in you. We entered the kingdom because the king entered us. We didn't try harder. We didn't love him more than anybody else. He entered us and all of the light that's in us is his light. Any light that flows out of you is his light. <laughs> love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. The only reason why anything virtuous or lovely survives in us is this. The Lord was there. It's his light. It's the only reason I'm qualified to stand on stage today. Whatever I share that's good is his light. And he delights in letting a bit of his light flow out of this creature. It's the biggest deal in the world to be a part of the kingdom of light. Can you imagine spending eternity in the kingdom of darkness? Bound by darkness now, destined for darkness forever. Never see anything again by yourself in complete darkness. That's what you've been saved from. I love being saved out of darkness. Jesus had made that possible. He came to earth to preach about his kingdom. He resisted darkness every day. Eventually, the powers of darkness made a plan against him to kill him. He allowed them to do that. They nailed him to a cross. He did so for one purpose. That is, when the sky grew dark, God put all the darkness of the world on, top of, on the back of his son, the life of his son, so that our darkness would be transferred to the light of the world who died that day in darkness. And rose from the dead. And that's why Paul says, live as children of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So that's what we're going to look at this week. All of that was sort of an introduction to now what I want to tell you. How utterly difficult it is to live as children of light in a world that is dark. But this is what we want to look at this week and next week. Why is it so hard to live as children of light? And what is our response to those who oppose us from the darkness? And they will. Paul begin our passage with this admonition. Let no one deceive you with empty words. This is the beginning of the light passage in Ephesians 5. Why would he say that? Because whenever you read that passage, you, you should say, okay, I know two things already about that. People are going to try to deceive me from the darkness. And I can be deceived. Why would he write something that is impossibility? The darkness will, people from the darkness will try to deceive you and you can be deceived. How do they deceive you? They deceive you with, what does he say? This is how people become deceived. By empty words. So what we're going to focus on the rest of our time today, the new strategy of the darkness to deceive the world through words. And it's working well. What is an empty word? An empty word is really nothing more than a clever word. It has 
is surrounded by something that looks clever and inside it when you open it up is nothing, no truth at all. So it is a lie clothed in cleverness. That's what an empty word is. It's a lie surrounded by the appearance of cleverness. The greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us as human beings made in the image of God is the gift of language. It separates us from all the animals. And it's so beautiful to watch a child learn to acquire language and nobody that studies language understands how it happens. They just listen and listen and after month after month, finally they say, Mama. And then you begin to point to different things in the room like a a shoe, and you say shoe, and a book, and you say book, and you point to a cup, and you say cup, and cheese, and you say cheese, and over time, as you keep doing that over and over again, you point to each one of them, and they say, mama. <laughs> For a while, everything's mama, but then eventually, they learn a word. They learn two. They learn 10. They learn 50. They learn 200, and they learn speech. The reason that God gives us the gift of language is it helps us describe reality. It's the joy of it. Somebody goes on a vacation, they come back and they describe what they saw. It's the gift of languages to describe maybe the Bible text. Help you love God more because I'm describing with language. But when he, evil hijacks language, empty words. It does so for the purpose of not describing reality, but distorting reality. And then evil uses all the power of language to persuade people that what is real is not real at all. Empty words, clever words. This is how Isaiah describes what happens when evil hijacks language. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Using language to distort reality. Look. Woe to those who use words, clever, empty words, so that once was once evil is now called good and what is once good is now called evil. That is what's happening in our culture. People who belong to the darkness hijacking language not to define but to distort reality. You may have heard the, the phrase neologism before which is a reference to a new word that is Invented by culture because something new is in culture. It's not always a bad thing. Like the word robot. It wasn't really needed in the 16th century. But we needed a neologism. Because to describe what is a robot. The word robot is like that. But many neologisms are evil words. They are architects in order to redefine reality, redefine sin, 
redefine God. In the 1980s and 90s, that philosophy was was used to change the word from baby to fetus. From baby to fetus. It's always been a baby, but in the 80s and 90s it became a fetus to make it sound less human when you took its life. The reason that evil hijacks words is to redefine them so they'll no longer sound like sin when God calls something sin. One of the main strategies of the Nazi war machine was to make use of a new word for Jews called, it's a long word, Unterlangmaschine, Unterlangmaschine, which means under men, less than a man, subhuman. It was a way of easing the conscience of the German people when they begin to see their Jewish neighbors and friends disappear. Subhuman people were disappearing, is what they had been taught. We learn from the propaganda masters of World War II that when a newly manufactured term is used long enough, society buys into it and believes it is an authentic word when it is actually, as the Apostle Paul said, still an empty word, a lie wrapped in cleverness. I read this week that in some circles, the new term for criminal is a justice-involved person. For centuries, the Western world, almost for 6,000 years, almost, for centuries, the Western world has said there are two genders on earth. All agreement on that. But now those who use clever speech tell us that an individual can be more than one gender. And so the propaganda machine developed a brand new word to describe something as transgender. That's not a real word. That's an empty word. That is a lie wrapped in clever wrapping. This is what those of the darkness do. Invent new words until a culture buys into the fact that it exists when in fact it does not exist. A man can only be a man, a woman can only be a woman, is what the truth is. By God's grace, there is a more powerful word, though, however, than transgender or homosexual or heterosexual sin. The most powerful word is still in Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. No matter what you believed, no matter what lies you believed, you can become light in the Lord. That's the message of light. It's fiercely opposed by the darkness. But listen, when I realize that I am designed by God, I'm designed for God, 
I am loved by Christ and forgiven by Christ. Sin will no longer have a controlling power over me and I'll leave the darkness. The darkness fiercely opposes this. In 1949, George Orwell wrote that famous dystopian novel called, interestingly, 1984, about a fictitious people living in the land of Oceania. It's a totalitarian state that's controlled by the party to carry out the purposes of Big Brother. The party developed a new language, new words. It's interesting. A new language called Newspeak. Newspeak. It was composed of new words so as to make existing words obsolete. This is the strategy of those who belong to the darkness. New words that are empty. Lies wrapped in cleverness. An example of the new words in Orwell's novel of Newspeak was something called good sex. It's in 1984. Good sex is defined as any form of sex that was considered acceptable by the party, which had developed a new language. It's amazing. This is why the Apostle Paul said, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let me tell you why he said this. Because he knew how strong empty words or truthless words, lying words, clever words are. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, Satan the serpent well, let's just read it as it is. God planted Adam and Eve in a garden and said to them, oh, I, did, I didn't have that up there, so sorry. You can eat any tree you want from the garden, but not from that one tree alone. That was truth. That was heavy. God said, and when you eat from that tree, you will die. That was truth. It wasn't empty. It wasn't clever. And then Satan the serpent comes along and says, this is clever talk. These are empty words. You will certainly not die. It's exactly out of Ephesians 5. Clever speech. You will certainly not die, the serpent said. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, something better will happen. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like him. This is the... This is the strategy of those who live in the darkness. Clever lies. I call this part, I, write, I have it in my Bible, Genesis chapter 3, right beside those verses 4 and 5, I have the words, the magnificent lie. Because that's what darkness does. It invents magnificent lies. Well, as you know, Adam and Eve ate the tree. And in that moment, death entered the world. You read the next chapter. One of their sons murdered the other. 
That's how powerful the lies are of Satan. That he could persuade them to give away the garden. We had a family that traveled in July, their vacation. I went to Beaufort, South Carolina. They went to Glacier National Park. Wine, wine. No, I'm so happy for them. As many of you understand, I want these pictures. And there they are sitting there. And just think about what Adam and Eve saw in the garden. Better than that. I mean, that's breathtaking, isn't it? So through that, the voice of creation, the voice of conscience, the voice of commandment, God is telling them, don't eat from just the one tree. And the power of clever speech was so persuasive that a serpent, snake, salamander, frog, Komodo dragon, I don't know, some serpent convinced them to believe him instead of God. That is the power of clever speech. Why did he have such influence with Eve? Because Eve had never seen death. So she doesn't know what she was playing with. This is the cleverness of Satan. When you don't know what the judgment of God is like, you don't fear the judgment of God. And he told Eve, eating the apple is no big deal. I wonder how Eve felt about that decision 10 years later when she watched the ruin of the world over those 10 years. Was it a big deal? And that's why Paul warns us, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Words are powerful. And that's why you need exactly what's happening here today in this church. Every Sunday, one more time, to be reminded what is true and what is not. You need it tomorrow in your Bible reading. You need it next Sunday in our preaching. We need to hear again and again the words of God to combat the clever, truthless words of culture. Now let me close with the greatest words about words ever spoken. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not Overcome it. I don't know how many ways people have translated overcome, catalambano. It means the same thing. The darkness could not seize it. The darkness could not extinguish it. The darkness could not 
overpower it. The darkness hated the light. The darkness crucified the light. But the darkness could not end the light. And that is the greatest word I can ever give anybody in here today. If you are living in the kingdom of darkness, the God who became light in Jesus Christ makes this offer to you. This offer is from the light of the world. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, the world did not recognize him and did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Welcome to the kingdom of light. Let's pray. Father, we gather in this room today always, to be honest, about the many times in life where we have believed the clever words of the powers of darkness. It promised one thing. It yielded shame. It promised glory. It yielded loss. Father, we thank you for 21 centuries of the preaching of the Bible, the thousands of years of prophets who came before. There's nothing we need more in life than your word to combat the clever, truthless lies of the powers of darkness. Jesus, we praise you that you are the light of the world. You came to tell us the truth. You are the truth. You came to shine on the darkness to free people from darkness. You died in the darkness. You were buried in the darkness. You rose in the light of Easter's morn. And now, Jesus, you dwell in inapproachable light. And yet you give us new capacities upon our death for those who believe to dwell with you in light that should never be ours. We love the kingdom of light. We love the way that light shines on flowers, glistens off eyes. We love the way that light shines on the screens that, we, that help us sing, light that helps us drive, helps us work, helps us see and believe the Scripture. Light that helps us see you, God. Thank you for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness. Would you rescue someone today? Would they say, Jesus, I want to become a part of the kingdom of light. Take me. Take me and save me. In your name I pray. Amen.